David Siegel here, your favorite podcast host. Before we get into today's episode, I have something important to share. Check out my new book, Decide and Conquer, to really get to know my story at Meetup. You know, the hardest thing about community leadership is making tough decisions when the stakes are high. And I'll tell you, they were never higher than when Meetup was owned and sold by WeWork. In my new book, Decide and Conquer, I'll walk you through a counterintuitive framework for decision-making, and the epic journey of Meetup's surprising survival. Good leaders deliberate, great leaders decide. Order my book today by visiting decideandconquerbook.com or anywhere books are sold. think you'll like it. Welcome. Yokoso. Bienvenue. Aapka swagat hai. Bienvenido. Hamida. Welcome. Welcome to Keep Connected. I am David Siegel. In this episode, we are talking to Daniel Liebeskin. He is the co-founder and CEO of Topia, our virtual gathering platform that helps to create social experience in the metaverse. We are going to learn a lot from Daniel. Here we go. Welcome, Daniel. Hi, David. It's a pleasure <laughs> to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Now, who is this, Daniel, you might ask? Well, as our listeners know, Meetup has always been about in person until the pandemic. Virtual platforms are not going away anytime soon, and they can truly drive real community. So we are talking to Daniel Leviskin, an expert in virtual communities, the founder of Topia, a virtual community platform. So let's start off a little bit with kind of an overview of virtual communities. Tell us some of the benefits, tell us some of the challenges in virtual communities overall. And then I want to spend time talking about Topia. I want to spend time talking about you. Go from there. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, David, I think that you probably have similar uh, feelings on this, but one of the things about a virtual community that's interesting is that access to that community is uh, is expanded, right? In person, one of the challenges that you're sort of geographically, even socioeconomically constrained to those that live nearby, can afford whatever the, the ticket cost is, you know, something like Burning Man, for example, has a gigantic community, uh, theoretically, of people all over the world. And the ethos is that they want uh, to spread the, the principles all over the world. But only 70,000 people a year can actually be at the in-person event. And it's incredibly expensive. How expensive is it? I've heard that they're like, you know, multimillionaires that will go to Burning Man and sit at these high-end glamping, you know, experiences. Obviously, the clothing isn't that expensive there, from what I hear. Um, but it's a, it's it's a pretty penny. Yeah, I mean, even even the clothing, people spend a fortune on their outfits, uh, their costumes, and, and those sorts of things. But the ticket itself is, I think, five hundred dollars, and then you know you have to bring all your own uh, food and water and tent and travel there. It's in the middle of the desert, um, and you know, all in, it'll be something like fifteen hundred dollars to go. And so that's not really that accessible to most people. And so having uh, a hybrid event where there are people in person that are part of that community, the in person community, and then um, being able to have millions of people that are part of the virtual community and having those intersect each other, it just really expands uh, the the um, you know the the impact that a community can have. And so I think that that's one of the things we're seeing with virtual communities. And you know, frankly, um, there are communities that exist just virtually. There are many, many, many that uh, that have both an in-person presence and maybe have like an annual meetup, but people are able to get together every week in a virtual context from all over the world. So access is one. The benefits of hybrid is a second. Are there challenges in virtual only communities? And if of so, course. what are they? And how could 
communities that are virtual only, because there is a place for virtual only communities without a doubt. Um, what can they do to try to counteract some of those challenges in your mind? Well, you know, um, I, I've been a big fan of Meetup for a really long time. So, um, you know, I know that uh, one of the missions or maybe the mission is to, I think it's solve the uh, loneliness epidemic, right? And so um, virtual communities can help with that, but they are, but they're not in person, right? And so that distinction, um, it, it remains to be seen whether if, for example, somebody lives purely in, a, in virtual communities, whether they're actually going to feel uh, you know, be, be cured of loneliness or whether we need physical contact, whether we need in-person energy. Um, you know, I think we're, we're still figuring those kinds of things out. What do you out. think? So, do you think you need in-person energy or not to feel that a real connection? I really like in-person. Um, you know, my mission is not to replace in-person, but instead to expand access to these kinds of communities, to experiences, to human connection, to make it easier to do those kinds of things. But um, my mission is very much not to have us all live in Ready Player One and, and never intersect in real life. I love in-person meetings and gatherings and energy and dancing and um, you know music and, and a vibe. It's really hard to replace that. And I don't even think that that should be the goal. Wow. Particularly for niche type groups. Someone's like extremely interested in you know, fire, which is about retiring early or a, a niche, very specific area of a hobby that someone might have. If you're in a city that's a smaller city, you're not going to necessarily have a group of people that are super interested in collecting stamps of BBs. I don't know what, what how about a niche of the niche you could, you know, you could get for those kind of things. But when it comes to virtual, it gives you that kind of access, like you said, to these really specific topics which um, can, I think, be incredibly bonding for many people. Absolutely. Well, and, and, and when you talk about loneliness, one of the things that can make somebody feel incredibly lonely is feeling like they're the only one that they know or that they have access to that is interested or has certain beliefs that they have, right? And, and you hear that all the time in small cities, like you're saying. It's one of the reasons that people uh, want to move to New York City uh, when they're young. And I did this, right? And there anything that you're interested in, there's a whole community of people that are interested in that same thing. And you, you definitely do find that in the internet as well. And, um, you know, I, I think the reality I've, I've always believed, I've believed for a long time that, um, with the emergence of more universal Wi-Fi, uh, productivity tools, um, you know, and even expense of some major cities, people were going to go more remote in general. Um, there's going to be a drive towards living in the woods and returning to nature and, um, and, and the ability to actually remote work was expanding well before the pandemic. We, we saw a trend line. And with remote work, you know, you really need remote play, remote community. And you don't have to, you know, it would be really magical to not have to live in New York City in order to find community around your niche interests. And, and I think that is one of the, the um, things that we'll see with virtual communities. Beautiful. You know, I don't want to get the Zoom gods against us, <laughs> but Zoom doesn't, Zoom is easy. Zoom is easy because everyone knows Zoom. Everyone has a Zoom account. It's super easy to just use Zoom for one's virtual communities and virtual events. And I, obviously, I don't want to go too deep into Tapia, but I do want to you to highlight some of the challenges with Zoom and ways in which people can have virtual events that could ideally be more meaningful um, at Meetup or outside of Meetup. 
Yeah, so Zoom is incredible at what it is made for, which is really meetings where one person at a time is speaking or where it's heavily facilitated by somebody that's you know, putting people into breakout rooms and then bringing them back um, and, and curating the experience. What it's not great for is emulating a real-life cocktail hour or happy hour or meetup. Um, you know, one of the magical things about meetup and if you if you go on you know if if you meet a, a few people on on meetup.com or you find a community you find an event you go in person it's the serendipity right it's the wandering around the event meeting people randomly not having somebody telling you exactly what to do and not just listening to one person at a time speak the entire time any zoom serendipity is like a scary moment that we've seen lots of videos of of inappropriate or weird things happening on a right. zoom call. That's not the kind of serendipity you want, but there's good yeah. serendipity that could happen. So tell us how do you create serendipity in a virtual way? I, I think you need to create context. So, um, you know, one of the things again about an in-person meeting is that you're meeting somewhere. There's a place that you're meeting and it has context. If you're meeting at a bar are you meeting at a bowling alley or at a baseball game? All of these different contexts uh, make a huge difference in how you interact with the people around you. And so, um, you know, and, and really the uh, the bonds that you form with others are based on the social experiences that you have and the memories that you're able to form, which is largely driven by the, the context around you. And so virtually, uh, you know, Zoom has no context. It's just people staring each other in the face. Um, and so, you know, a lot of what you're seeing with uh, platforms like Topia is uh, trying to make it easy for people to create places and context and then bring people together in those spaces in the same way that people do, um, you know, really in, in real, in the real world. You're a creator, clearly. Why is creating so important to you? You would think it should be important to everyone, but, but it's not. So why is creating so important to you, Daniel? I grew up reading Harry Potter and, uh, and the idea of being actually when I was, when I was a little kid, I not even that embarrassingly old actually, but I, you know, I thought that I had magical powers at one point and I, uh, or that I would develop them. Right. I, I had this like store, this, this like, uh, character arc for myself in my own head. Um, and then I sort of, as I grew up, realized that that was, you know, I, I wasn't actually a wizard. I wasn't going to have magical powers, um, but that there was a way to, um, to actually be able to be a real life sorcerer in uh, being able to you know learn how to code is like learning spells and being able to actually manifest things that you imagine or that other people imagine. Um, you know, somebody's talking about an idea and being able to actually conjure that thing um, and then, you know, do it in a way where people will get joy from it and, and love it. I, I, there's just something really deeply tied to magic and wizardry and joy and energy in the creation process that um, really, you know, I just, I, I just love it. Wow. That is one of the most interesting reasons behind why people decide to go into computer science, engineering, uh, because in their mind, it's the path towards magic and sorcery from the lands of Peter Pan of yore or of, you know, Harry Potter of, of today. Um, that's first of all, it, it, it makes me think about how many engineers JK Rowling may have created from, so from her books, because it sounds like it had a, a real impact on you. Yeah. And, and it was, you know, obviously it's not just Harry Potter, there's Lord of the Rings, there's many, many other uh, series. And, uh, but with Harry Potter, what was really interesting is I grew up basically the same age as, as Harry and uh, it was that discovery of magic. It was 
being a muggle, right? Being a normal person. And then the journey of discovery, of growth, of conquering uh, challenges, of being really kind to people um, and not, not always being nice, right? Which is something that you point out a lot. Um, but certainly being kind and, and, you know, that the whole thing really just resonated with me. And I just happened to grow up at the exact right moment in that arc. Uh, but for others, you know, the generation before me, it was, it was things like Lord of the Rings and the Elven, uh, empires and, and, um, you know, conjuring things that way. And so I think each generation has their own stories, um, or really, you know, it's whatever you find that can, you can draw inspiration from, and that becomes an internal inspiration. People talk about external motivators, internal motivators. I think if you can find a story and if you can, if you can bind yourself internally to some character arc that you make for yourself, that can be really motivating for you to do anything that you can imagine. Oh my God. I feel honestly so motivated to start taking some computer science classes and figure out how to build that. You know, there's different ways of building. I'm more of the business side of building. Clearly you're more on the tech side. I don't think you could build amazing experiences without both. Um, and um, that, that's a really fresh outlook and way of, way of, way of understanding the creative process. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah. And I think, I think technical or business, it is like you just said, it's very similar, right? They're, they're rules of the game and you're learning how to um, use different variables to, um, to create success for yourself, but also for everybody that's counting on you and everybody that's a stakeholder in whatever it is you're doing. And so, uh, you know, I think that uh, the business side is very Harry Potter as well. If you think of it that way, it, it certainly can be, you know, you can create whatever you want. I created 20 different things, right. In isolation often, right. I would create, and I, and I had different teams, but. Right. Um, and then no one follows you. And, and, and nobody cares, right. right. It actually right. often, it takes an ability to distribute, right. To actually, and to, and to bring people together and to lead um, in order to actually make the things useful. And, you know, you can create things that are not useful all day and that doesn't really matter. It doesn't have impact. It doesn't bring joy um, and so there are two sides to any coin and, and being able to actually organize, bring people together, distribute the thing, get it into people's hands that, that care about it is just as important as building it, frankly. It's, it's one thing I've and, and the most complex creation can be incredibly unhelpful and the most simple creation can be powerful for, for so Absolutely. many. Well said. You've spoken a lot about democratizing access and I just... I really love that. Are there any concrete examples that you can give of giving people access that you've heard from Topia, that you've heard outside, that people just would never have had if not for, if in-person was the only way of going? Yeah. You know, um, there's, I mean, there's many stories. I'm sure you have a lot of them yourself uh, with Meetup, but you know, one that just sprung to mind when you asked is a couple of years ago, we had people that were uh, two two countries that were um, in conflict with one another, and we had uh, people from each side wind up at a, a digital event, and um, they started having a debate, and there were other people that were uh, standing by and, and listening, participating in the debate that they were having. And what what really struck me from this, uh, and and you know, I wasn't actually there, but I heard the anecdote about it. And what struck some of the the participants and really. Uh, resonated stuck with me is that um, the debate they were having was actually very civil, right? Because they were seeing each other, they were looking into each other, the whites of each other's eyes, they were in a very safe context. Um, and if you had that kind of interaction in an asynchronous, 
um, you know, forum or something, and people were hiding behind a username, they weren't actually looking at each other. That's when you often get um, some very toxic kind of interactions. And by actually seeing another human being and being in a safe space, you know, it, it makes people act more human. And so it's one of the important things of the evolution of the internet into something that um, that provides more synchronous social context is it actually makes people act more human towards each other. That's really nice. It's really important that you had that. Let's talk a little bit about what we've both been reading a ton of, which is around virtual kind of fatigue and and, and burnout, kind of people being in front of their computers, ways of making virtual events fresh. What what advice would you give to you know the tens of thousands of, of meetup listeners and and non meetup listeners uh, about how to make their virtual experiences fresh? How to avoid kind of that burnout of being in front of the laptop all the time and have that virtual experience be just a an amazing, not, maybe not as good as in person, but still a energizing, truly energizing experience. You walk out of there just like when you come come back from an in person meetup, oftentimes event. And just like, oh man, I met these amazing people. I'm so energized. Can't I have three follow-ups? Da, da, da. How do you create that, you know, even more so virtually? Yeah, so that's a really good question. And I don't I don't have a silver bullet for it, but um, you know, I think one of the things that you find in person um that you can better emulate online uh than you know historically with something like Zoom is is two things. One is having actual uh, the ability to move around, right? And to meet people and to and frankly to leave a conversation that you don't feel uh, energized by, you know, one of the things that you do in person at a meetup is uh, gravitate towards wherever you're going to get energy, wherever you're finding serendipity and you leave, you're able to leave conversations. And sometimes you have to make an excuse, you know, either I'm getting a drink or I'm going to the bathroom. I need to make a call. You have to find some path to, uh, to moving to the next person. Well, one of the, one of the weird revelations we had in, in digital is that it's actually way less awkward to just walk away. So in person, you have to make some excuse but we find in virtual worlds, like in Topia, you might be like connected to eight other people having a conversation and you just walk away and nobody says anything. Nobody really even cares. There's more permission in a digital context to move in and out of conversations. And so that actually can be very calming, knowing that you have an escape. I think what really You're stresses not people out about Zoom is like they're locked in. There's nowhere to go. You can't, you can't get away from it, you know? But you're right. It does... It's, sometimes you do feel stuck in Zoom and you certainly feel stuck in person. So that that is a great value of Topia or other such platforms where you could kind of easily connect out of a conversation that may not be working. You're, you had a second thing as well, I believe. Well, I, I would just say, you know, um, for people that are organizing events, we actually call these people confluencers. A confluence in nature is where a bunch of different rivers come together and become one. And so a confluencer in a digital context is a, is a person or an entity that brings people together to be a, a community. It's really the the unsung heroes of the world are the people that are organizing things, bringing people together. Often they, they get uh, very little value returned to them aside from just loving, um, you know, creating that energy, bringing their friends together. Um, and, and uh, you know, so looking at some of the things that really work in person and then trying to emulate those with technologies that allow you to emulate them. Um, so, you know, and, and everybody's been to meetups where it's amazing and the energy is flowing and you can move between, you know, you have so many different conversations and then you've been to ones where it's like everybody's stagnant 
Nobody's moving. So one of the interesting things that I've found is that movement actually makes a huge difference and encouraging movement within the in-person meetup, within the digital movement uh, uh, meetup, um, but actually, you know, encouraging people to like switch who they're talking to, right? Announcing, hey, everybody, whoever you're talking to, talk to somebody else, right? Those Musical meetup. Exactly. Musical events. I love exactly. it. You can just switch who you're in front of. That's cool. So you could do that. You could do that. Oh, yeah. That's really cool. You know, speaking of just movement, some of the best conversations and one-on-ones that I've ever had just, you know, with people who work with me or I work for are when I say, let's just take a walk outside and just take a walk outside and you're walking together. And I'm just always thinking more clear what I'm doing versus the staleness of kind of sitting in the office. So it, it really does matter kind of when you're moving around, whether it's virtually or in person. Okay. You mentioned upfront this um, virtual burning man. And if I can't think of anything that's probably more physically aligned, it's burning man in some way. How, tell me about the virtual burning man event that, that you ran, how many people were there, what happened, what worked, what didn't work. Love to hear about that. So we ran, uh, uh, we were one of the co-hosts of virtual burning man in 2020. Uh, it was like four months after the pandemic started. Uh, we, uh, or I guess it was four months after our first line of code, which was like a month into the pandemic. Um, so that was 2020. And then we ran it again in 2021. We had over 20,000 people each time that actually came to the experience. Um, they were wildly different. The first time it was kind of like, we're just trying to get out a system where people can, can get together. And we built a whole world and, um, you know, in, in Topia, you can, uh, empower people to build portals to worlds that they're building. So, Anybody that's been to Burning Man knows that, um, you know, you have a main playa and then there's hundreds of camps, essentially. And each camp is run by organizers, you know, by individuals that take on the responsibility of building something out, offering something to the community. And so, you know, we we enabled that as well. And so we had, I think the first one, we had something like 50 different camps and they were entire worlds that were built with portals from the main playa. And uh, they had events that were scheduled and uh, comedians and singers and um, for the for the second one in 2021, uh, we actually hosted an entire music festival. We had a whole lineup, and that was really fun. And then again, we had portals to uh, to worlds, and the worlds were way better built out, I would say, because we had better tools um, that second year. But um, you know, it was it was definitely vibey. You know, it, it was interesting though. People that had been to Burning Man many times, um, it was very mixed. Some people are like, right. wow, this is very similar and amazing that all these people that have never been to Burning Man are able to experience this. And then others are like, this is stupid. It's nothing like actual Burning Man. What are we even doing in here? Um, and kind of divided that way, which was uh, fascinating. But one of the things- But that they gave a shot. That, they gave it a shot. They gave it a shot. But a lot of people that, that had always been curious about Burning Man, but had never pulled the trigger for a lot of different reasons. There's a lot of reasons that going is, is scary. It's expensive. It's prohibitive. They don't have friends that are going to go with them. They don't have, you know, the, the time off. Um, so a lot of those people experienced it for the first time. And you did kind of get the vibe. They got the ethos. And um, I think it was really powerful experience for, for a lot of those folks. Okay. So it's a good way to dip your toe in the water before dipping your entire body uh, into the Burning Man water. And uh, well said. You know, it is actually on my um, bucket list of things to do. So one day, our chairman, Kevin Ryan, is a been going to Burning Man for you know, five to 10 years and uh, swears by the experience. So one day he and I will hopefully get a chance yeah, to go together. It's happening again in, in person this year. Um, so for anybody that, the, the tickets sold out in like 10 seconds. I think they sold half the tickets that they normally do. And there were like five times as many people trying to buy them, something like that. 
Well, there's a lot of um, deep-seated need to get out and and do fun, meaningful, uh, exciting kind of things. And Burning Man is the ult- penultimate of, 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 of those experiences. So as probably our listeners can tell, Daniel is not like your typical person. He is uh, certain ways, like uh, a, certainly a tinkerer and a, and a genius. And for those listening, you can't see what Daniel looks like, but he's got, you know, the, the ponytail stubble kind of cool vibe going on. And I know there's a story behind you. And I know there's a story behind why community is actually important to you. So share a little bit about kind of why is community such an important passion of yours? Let's love to hear about it. There's a few things. One, you know, I grew up with a large family and we'd go to summer camp and my entire extended family would descend on the summer camp and, and basically make up like a quarter of the kids, something like that. What? Um, Wait, how big and, was your family? Uh, your parents have how many siblings? Uh, four on each side. Um, wow. And then lots and lots of cousins. Um, and my, you know, my mom was the camp doctor. My uncle, it was a Jewish camp. So my uncle was the rabbi. Um, this is Camp had, Liebeskind, sounds like. Exactly. <laughs> it's called Eisner. Um, for anybody that's been, and uh, I know, it. You know, I know it. that that was my first introduction to just community, and we'd go every year, and you know, it was it was really a beautiful experience, and you know, even just my cousins with family events, really steeped in community and seeing dynamics that uh, have stuck with me uh, through life. So that, that was kind of my first, really, um, you know, just deep immersion in community. I also, uh, while I was building, I built. Uh, apps for like eight years and I had a dev shop. I built 22 different applications uh, over that time. And uh, I was a digital nomad. So I was traveling the world. I lived in Thailand and Bali and there were spiritual communities that I was part of and yogis. And that actually was my inspiration for wanting to create a platform for creators, for artists, for um, musicians, for yogis uh, that really uh, you know needed a way to create their own digital ecosystems and then bring people together at scale. Um, and that was something that was kind of hard for people that were living in Thailand that didn't really understand computers. And I haven't made something that's perfect for them yet, but that is part of the inspiration. And, um, you know, the the community, the energy, the experiences uh, of being and meeting different people, having serendipity was amazing. Like I'd be, I'd be living in Bali and then I would go to Thailand and I would see somebody from my Bali community in Thailand. And that moment that that we know each other in this new context was so powerful. Um, and in many ways, you know, that those kinds of experiences were, um, you know, what drove me to be who I am. Amazing. So you're such an extrovert and, and outgoing. Were you ever in a lonely kind of place or when you're traveling the world, you you met a ton of people and 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 that's why you weren't lonely because of those communities? I actually think of myself as an introvert that's disguised as an extrovert. Um, but, uh, you know, when I was a, when I was a kid, I played a lot of video games. I built games. That was kind of my passion. Um, I, I had friends, but I, it wasn't really like my, it wasn't my driver. I really liked creating and I really liked, uh, and I, and, and frankly, I liked connecting online, right? Multiplayer games have actually um, been a way that I've uh, connected with my friends, my, my IRL friends, and I played video games played multiplayer games and that was kind of our thing. Um, and so, you know, but I definitely had aspects of being lonely when I was a kid that way and sort of isolated myself in my room, uh, for, for periods. I had some existential crises when I was, you know, 16, 17, like, like many kids do. Um, and you know, I think you read a lot of Ayn Rand back then. (laughs) I did. I did read some, some Atlas. Yeah. (laughs) Libertarian, you know, all of that. 
Um, so yeah, you know, I, I wouldn't say I'm a particularly lonely person. I've always sort of been able to find community in the places that I go. Um, but I, I, at periods of time have self isolated intentionally. I think that that's actually one of the things that recharges me, uh, is alone time is being in the woods in particular by myself and, uh, walking, hiking, you know, going on a journey on an Epic adventure kind of by myself or with maybe one or two other people. Um, sometimes I actually get kind of overwhelmed when there's tons and tons of people. It's, it dates back to those early days at camp and the impact that that camp had perhaps for you on, on being an outdoors person and, and how meaningful it was. You know, I was just um, reading a, a book about the importance of spending alone time and just one, two, three days just by yourself. Doesn't mean, you, you know, be a monk and spend 30 days by oneself. So, Right before Passover for me, the day before Passover, I tested positive and we have, we have a second home. I went to our second home and I isolated for five days completely by myself. And a lot of people said, oh my God, that must have been so hard to spend the holiday by yourself, et cetera. I said, you know, there was something very therapeutic about, about just being in nature. There's a, a cabin kind of area in, in nature, very, very healthy. So for people that, that do have that inclination, it can be very, very powerful. Yeah, that's amazing. I, it, just another random anecdote, but at Digital Burning Man, I actually one night um, we we made the whole background black, and it felt like very nighttime, very very much like Burning Man actually feels like. And I actually one night I just I left the group I was talking to and having experience with, and I just biked around the playa for like an hour by myself, and it actually felt a little bit like when you're at Burning Man, you just go off by yourself and have some solo adventure, as people call it. Um, and so you know you can even find. You can you can intentionally find loneliness and alone time online, even in in a social context, um, if you if you so choose, and that can wow. be re-energizing, just like going to the woods or you know being in your second house. I, honestly, I would never have thought of that because yeah. online I think of as the most crowded place in the world. Uh, so that, very very interesting. Okay, we're up to the rapid fire questions right now. So quick question, quick answer. Here we go. First job. First job uh, was actually being a, a grocery store uh, bagger. And I discovered that if you uh, help people bring their groceries to the parcel, the pickup area, that you would get a tip. So I became, so I was actually a bagger, but then I became a parcel person because I just forced my way in there, basically. Nice, nice. <laughs> you could access a time machine. You travel the world, but you haven't traveled in time, to my knowledge. Where are you going and when? I, I would have to say 1968 or 69. I just feel like there was such a crackling of energy uh, and civil rights movement and uh, social reform and, you know, people just pushing the limits on what, what was acceptable and possible. Um, so I, I've always been really fascinated in the music, you know, and the, and are you going the to energy Woodstock? around the music. Yeah. Are you Woodstock, going to, yeah. What are you going to? Are you going to Woodstock? Are you going oh, yeah. to one of the marches? What are you going to? I'm probably going to New York City, going to the marches, going to Woodstock. I mean, I would I would also go out to Hit Ashbury in San Francisco. Um, you know, kind of all the hippie hotspots. <laughs> Love it. Do you have a favorite quote? Uh, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. I think the idea of being kind um, to people is really important, and I know that's something I've I've uh, read from you know in things that you've written um, and, and spoken about. But I, I do think that being kind is really critical, and I love when people are kind to me. Um, and so I think, um, you know, manifesting on the world, showing the world the kind of energy that you want to receive is really important. You know, being kind can be the best thing you do for yourself. 
So for people that need to be convinced there that, you know, is it worth it or not worth it? The answer is sometimes the most selfish thing you do for yourself is to be unselfish and, and keep that in mind. So, so thank you for, for calling it out. Okay. Something on your bucket list. You have done a ton of really interesting stuff. What have you not done, Daniel, that is actually doable by not, you know, going in t- backwards in time that you still <laughs> want to do? What about going forwards in time? Oh. Um, yeah, I would say, I, I mean, the, the weird thing that just uh, occurred to me is uh, this is not a thing that's possible yet, but uh, connecting my consciousness with somebody else and actually experiencing the world as somebody else, which I think will be possible with um, sort of like neural links. Um, so, uh, you know, and then, and then I think things that are uh, possible right now, I would love to, um, I, weirdly, this just popped into my head, but run with the bulls. You know, I think Ernest Hemingway talking, talking about it. I, there's not even like, I, I don't even uh, necessarily want the action. I think I want the energy of it, the feeling of being in a crowd in that experience. Um, it's just for some reason, something that I've always uh, sort of pined for. So you got to do it. Yeah. Not virtually in real life. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Last question, which is, you know, you're a real leader in building community for others which is an incredibly kind act. And I'm confident you're going to be doing that for decades to come because it is your life passion. What related to that or even unrelated to it, do you most want to be remembered by? I love creating things that people love. I think that's my, my biggest passion. And, you know, that doesn't just have to be technology platforms um, that could actually extend to, um, you know, helping people to grow and thereby helping to create what they are and, you know, help in. And, and if, if they're kind to people and, and people love them, you know, I get a lot of, um, I, I get a lot of energy and, and just joy from that. So, um, you know, creating platforms, creating really anything, even creating experiences, creating moments that people love is, uh, is something that I would love to be known by. Anyway, Daniel, it's so awesome talking to you. Really? You too. Rock on. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Yeah. Thank you for, uh, for today. Take care, man. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Wow. This is one interesting guy. When you hear that the number one thing that he wants to do on his bucket list is to change consciousness with someone, you know, you're talking to someone who thinks outside of the box. There is no box with Daniel. And that's one of the things I loved about today's conversation, hearing about his focus on why he became the creator that he is and the impact of both in-person and virtual communities and the benefits of both was particularly helpful for me. If you enjoyed today's podcast, then subscribe, leave a review, check out my new book, Decide and Conquer. And remember, let's keep connected because life is better together. We hope you'll stay connected by attending Meetup Live, a regular online event series hosted by us, the Meetup team. Meetup Live features organizers who have hosted successful events, product updates from the Meetup team, and you'll hear from experts on how to build community and meet your goals. We've also launched a powerful series called Dismantling Social Injustice to discuss the pressing issues of our time, including race, equality, democracy, and access. Staying connected has never been more important. Join the Meetup community online at meetup.com.